Hey everyone, it's Andrew Claven. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. I hope you are sitting around like a snake that ate a pig just digesting. And while you're digesting, you can listen to some great content. What we're going to give you here are some of the episodes from Members Block that you don't get if you're not a member. Uh, when we get behind the members wall, we start to talk about things that are uh, dear to my heart. We talk about, we'll be talking in this segment about uh, porn, about the way the culture uh, protects the left from facing itself, uh, about the differences between married and unmarried people, the kind of thing that sometimes get pushed out of the main show uh, by politics and the news of the week. So these are the deeper dives than we sometimes get to take uh, in the normal show, and you will get to hear it, and it will maybe entice you to subscribe, which I know you're dying to do, but if not, it'll give you something to listen to while you're digesting. Uh, this is also a good time for you to uh, subscribe to the Andrew Claven YouTube channel, where you also get exclusive content and and if you leave a content there, and the content is absolutely uh indefensible and unforgivable, we sometimes read it on the show because it fits right in with the rest of uh, our content. This uh, week's comment is from Corey R., who says he finally received my signed copy of Strange Habit of Mind, and I must say that so far it is my favorite Andrew Claven book, although to be fair, I say the same thing about every Andrew Claven book that I'm currently reading. Either way, well done, sir. I'm looking forward to reading more Cameron Winter stories in the future, and as I told you last week, I've just turned in the third book, the manuscript for the third book to my publisher. Uh, you know, members get this member block content all the time. So if you enjoy this content, it is a good time to become a member and use code DW50 for 50% off your new membership at dailywire.com slash subscribe. So members block, uh, welcome to the members. I, I like, if I can, to talk as much about the culture in the members block as I can. And we've been talking all this time about this kind of uh, shroud of unknowing that the left lives in because of their dominance of the media and how that shroud is uh, being perforated by reality because of the internet, the change in the internet, and how they're panicked in this panicked way. Uh, they're trying to have the counter-reformation where they basically bring in uh, Torquemada and uh, torture all of us who disagree with them. And they torture us by throwing off Twitter. And, they, and they, the, the wonderful sense of... Um, that they have, that they are entitled to do this, that the opinions that disagree with them are completely out of court, that if you say, like, no, there should be literally no abortion, there's something terribly, terribly wrong with you. It's not like, uh, you know, I, I said I was talking to Megyn Kelly yesterday, and we were talking about uh, both of us sort of having a lot of uh, gay people in our lives and people that we love in our lives who are gay, and I said, but that doesn't mean I think that people uh, who feel that this is a sin shouldn't be able to speak. I think, of course, they should be able to speak. I don't want to hear their ugly language. I don't want to hear them spitting, uh, you know, nasty things at me, but, you know, gay people perform actions, and you have a right to pass a judgment on whether those actions are correct or not, and you have a right to comment on the role of sexuality uh, in, our in our lives and in our society. One of the things I love about the left, I just love it because they, you know, make, corruption always makes me laugh. I love when they, they, they kill people, uh, abortion, they lie, they say trans women are women, uh, and then they attack a central institutions of the world, like marriage, and then you say, well, maybe this isn't a good idea, and they say, what, why is it so important to you? What, are you obsessed with sex? <laughs> you know, the answer to that is like a, a pie in the face, kind of like, but... 
But anyway, there was an article in the New York Times on Knucklehead Row, the op-ed section of the New York Times, a former newspaper. And by the way, if you, if you put a strange habit of mine on the New York Times bestseller list, for, for four weeks, I will stop saying a former newspaper. I'll just say the New York Times and then be silent for a moment while you think to yourself a former newspaper, uh, just to thank them for putting me on the uh, New York Times list. However, there's an article by Tressie McMillan Cottom, C-O-T-T-O-M, in the political talk show race, Outrage is winning, and uh, she is a, uh, an associate professor at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill School of Information and Library Science, the author of Thick and Other Essays, and a 2020 MacArthur Fellow. Now, the MacArthur Fellowship is essentially welfare for leftists, so like that, they call it a genius grant. That's, that's the way uh, leftists think of themselves, so we know who she is. So I, she's talking about the retirement of Trevor Noah, and... She's talking about the fact that liberals appear to dominate the late night TV show. And I just want to read this because it is a masterpiece. It is a masterpiece of non-self-awareness. I don't think there is a word for the opposite of self-awareness, for what it means to be not self-aware. But whatever it is, you know, this is a masterpiece of that genre. She says, liberals appear to dominate the late night TV show genre. The reason for that dominance is complex. <laughs> it's complex. Hmm. What is the reason? Wouldn't it be that they blacklist anybody who doesn't say who doesn't say what they want them to say. No, it couldn't be that. It's complex. Audiences have different orientations toward humor and political talk. Those orientations have some underlying psychological needs, and styles of comedy have political and cultural histories. Bluntly, she says, scholars who study political communication and humor often find that liberals are ironic, smart alecks, and conservatives are outraged moralists. Some of us are a bit of both, but most of us have a psychological need to be one over the other. So they're ironic, they're smart alecks, they're cool, they're hip, they're great, they're wonderful. We're outraged, nasty moralists, right? A lot of research on psychology, and by the way, psychology is wholly dominated by the left, psychology, history, and media to explain why we find funny what we do. The need for closure is a big one. If you have a high need for clear-cut moral rules, then satire, which asks us to skewer our own beliefs, is going to make you pretty anxious. Ouchy stuff, if us versus them makes you feel safest. In other words, leftists are willing to skewer their own beliefs. We see this all the time. Stephen Colbert, every, every time we see Stephen Colbert, is going after those leftists and Nancy Pelosi. I mean, he's always, you never hear him attacking the right. You never hear him say a word about Trump, but he's always attacking those left. I mean, this is how purblind, a wonderful old word, this is how purblind they are. They do not see. They think that they are open-minded and they're skewering their own beliefs. When in fact, as we talked about earlier on the show, uh, the minute the New York Times says something about the fact that Joe Biden is clearly deteriorating. It's like, no, no, don't say that. Don't say it. Do not tell us the truth. Liberals may be drawn to ironic humor like satire because it reflects their antagonism toward the status quo. But outrage plays better to the political psychology of conservatives. As outrage has become a more viable media model than satire, it has gotten harder to sell liberal politics. It's a wonderful piece. I love this piece. All of our political, cultural, and economic messages risk being filtered through an identity-driven ecosystem that proportionally rewards not just conservatism and republicanism, this is a quote, but also conservative populism on the far right. The irony isn't lost on me. The conservative audiences complain about how vilified they are in popular culture. Conservative media seems to be doing quite well. Joe Rogan and Ben Shapiro are two of the most popular podcast hosts in the nation. I just want to pause here for a minute. You know, a lot of people argue uh, about whether 
Matt Walsh or I am funnier? The right answer is I am. That's just the correct answer. I don't want to be, it's a spoiler alert, but still. But, you know, Shapiro is a pretty funny guy. He always makes me laugh anyway. I think he's a pretty witty guy. Uh, I don't listen to Joe Rogan that much, but, uh, but I, you know, Shapiro doesn't strike me as being outraged all that much at all, really. He's just, uh, he's, fat, he's fact-based. We have, he and I have very different uh, value sets, but every time he says, talks about the facts, I usually think, yes, that's pretty much what's going on. Um, but he says, there, but she says, there's no liberal counterpart to Shapiro or Rogan. Fox News lost some of its big names when Megyn Kelly and Bill O'Reilly left, but while MSNBC looks for its footing after Rachel Maddow's exit on most weeknights and a CSN pivots to centrism, Fox is beating them both in the ratings. When you look across media platforms, it's easier to see how conservative psychological preference for outrage bodes better for their growth in satellite radio, lifestyle media, and of course, social media. The interesting thing about this, the interesting thing about this is there are outrage mongers on the right, and I I think all the left are outrage mongers. I think Stephen Colbert is pure outrage. I think that's all he is. I mean, he's funny because he's got a hundred writers, but still, I think he is an outrage monger. That's what he is. All these people punch Trump in the face, shoot Trump. When was the last time an actor shot Trump? What, what the hell? Why is that not outrage? Why is it not outrage? It is just an amazing, amazing thing to me. The level, the level of lack of self-knowledge, and as I say, there should be a word for that, but there's not. The level of lack of self-knowledge. They think seriously that they are cool, hip, ironic people against the status quo. They are the status quo. The reason Shapiro and Rogan are dominating podcasts is because podcasts are a new, untested territory. Believe me, believe me, if the right, if the left could shut us down, they would. They took the Babylon Bee off Twitter. The Babylon Bee, which is pure comedy, pure mock, mockery, they've taken them off Twitter. They suppressed me, I'm sure of it, because all of a sudden my, my views are going up and all of a sudden people who haven't heard from me in months are hearing from me. You know, and, and who could be more benevolent than me? Who, who could be less outraged and sweeter? I mean, really, butter would not melt in my mouth. I'm so sweet. I, I just, I do not understand why anybody would come after me, but come after, they come after Jordan Peterson. Now, Jordan Peterson can bring some outrage, but the outrage is really about people mistreating themselves. You know, when Jordan gets outraged, it's not because, uh, sometimes he gets outraged at the things that they want him to do, like they want to force him to use pronouns and things like this. But, but his, most of his outrage is against people hurting themselves. Still, still, the left is all outrage. Who burned Kenosha? You know, who set Kenosha on fire? Who turned Seattle into a trash pit? Who turned San Francisco into a trash pit? You know, it, it's just, it's just amazing. You know, here's the thing. I won't say I do this every day, but often I ask myself, am I wrong about everything? <laughs> you know, is everything wrong? I constantly question my politics, my faith, my beliefs, and my beliefs about the left, because I know that it's very easy to fall into, uh, you know, demonizing leftists. I think leftism is a bad philosophy, just like I think radical Islam is a bad religion, right? I think that not treating women uh, as, as equal people in the world, I think that's a bad philosophy. I think uh, communism, bad philosophy, Nazism, bad philosophy. But I understand that there are many, many Democrats who aren't leftists, but who don't understand how far the left has gone, has taken over their party. So I I try very hard not to demonize the voters on the left, even if I say, talk about the philosophy of the left and the people who uh, instantiate or embody that philosophy. These people, like this lady, 
who write for the New York Times, who read the New York Times and nothing else, they simply do not know what is going on. I've never, I, I can't even think of, of anybody on the right like this, anybody uh, operating on the right at a high level who is like this. But this woman has a MacArthur Fellow, and she has no idea, no idea of the comedy. How could she see the Babylon Bee? It's been canceled. How could she see it? She has no idea of the fact that we're laughing over here, we're having a good time. Everybody who comes to the Daily Wire says, how come you guys are having such a good time? It's because we're not not outraged. We know we're fighting for the right, and we know in the long run, at the end of the story, we're going to win. So in talking about the Republican Party becoming the party of married people, and the fact that single women flock to the Democrat Party, and as I said before, single women uh, are, I think, the easiest people to manipulate with fear. Uh, I really believe that to be true for all kinds of reasons, but I, which I outlined before. But it is really interesting to watch the way people deal with marriage and the threat of marriage to them and the way they can't think about marriage in certain ways. There's a piece I want to share with you from the Wall Street Journal. Uh, and a lot of their kind of lifestyle pieces have to do with money because they're the Wall Street Journal. Uh, and the piece is called Moving In Together Doesn't Match the Financial Benefits of Marriage, But Why? Subhead is married couples are four times, four times as wealthy as unmarried couples who live together. This is by uh, Julia Carpenter. So she says, a walk down the aisle can be a route to greater wealth and prosperity for couples in the U.S. Married people have higher net worths and are more likely to be homeowners than their unmarried counterparts. The mystery, though, is why cohabiting, cohabitating but unmarried couples struggle to build wealth in the same way. As of 2019, the median net worth for cohabiting couples aged 25 to 34 was $17,372, a quarter that of the 68000 uh, $210 for married couples. And that is the um, the median uh, couple. That's the median uh, range, right? For singles, it's 7341 So being married makes you richer, right? Uh, the wealth gap between partnered and married couples is larger than one might expect. Uh, and Anna Kent, a senior researching searcher at the St. Louis Fed, says it's so intriguing Uh Americans are moving in together at higher rates, according to data from Pew Research, and the share of U.S. adults who are currently married steadily declined from close to 60% in the 1990s to under half in 2019. Over the same period, the share of adults aged 18 to 44 living with a partner climbed to 59%. So people are moving in together, but they're not getting married. And somebody says uh, here, uh, Andrew Trulin, a professor at uh, Johns Hopkins, he says marriage has become a, a capstone event. In other words, uh, you wait until you are established and have money and then you get married, right? And that is uh, the opposite of the way, for instance, I did it. My wife married a starving artist. I mean, she married a guy with no prospects whatsoever. Uh, and yet we have done quite well for our, ourselves. Uh, and and we put all our money together. We never, there was never a question. This is, this is really interesting. We're kind of the last generation or the last people to have done this. Uh, basically, we got married, so our money was in, we got one bank account. Now people discuss it. You know, should we put our money in one bank account? It's really interesting. So now they give a, an example. Uh, Melissa Mowry is a 30-year-old communications manager in Asheville, North Carolina. She's been with her boyfriend for five years, living together nearly four. They don't share a joint bank account, but they split the cost of rent and other bills. And even so, Ms. Mowry said she can't make sense of the financial gap between her 
relationship and that of married couples. We're already saving a lot of money and splitting the cost on most things, she said. I don't understand how married couples are accumulating wealth in ways that we're not doing. And then the author says there are legal and tax benefits to marriage, but research suggests the financial security and long-term mindset of those who tie the knot may also be a powerful driver of wealth. Um, And uh, married people may be much more likely to have conversations around what goals they have for their financial future. And they go on with these very practical, you might call them materialist reasons, uh, why people um, are, married couples get so much richer And this one lady they're interviewing says, most of my married friends have bought a house. I just don't know how they did it. Everyone talks about how when you get married, you accumulate wealth, but I don't know what that means. And everybody in the article, including the author, is baffled by this. And I I was thinking, you know, what's interesting about this article is the things you're not allowed to think. Uh, The things you're not allowed to think about marriage, about men, about women, about what makes a couple uh, do so well. And I'd like to just put forward a couple of ideas that, A, people who get married um, are living in a way that is conducive to human thriving. Um, You know, capitalism is the way we manage our greed. And I've said a million times that capitalism doesn't solve our problems. It's simply a way of managing our greed by putting our greed into a machine where the greed is forced to serve other people in order to thrive, right? And marriage is, in the same way, puts our romantic and erotic impulses into a an institution that helps society to thrive because our romantic uh, and erotic in, um, impulses are very, very chaotic. You know, they're very powerful. They sweep us away. But marriage helps us put them in a place where they can be served, just like our greed can be served in capitalism, but also we don't become antisocial. We don't de- destroy um, society by with through our sexual impulses. But on top of that, of course, there's also this spiritual factor to marriage, which is that a man and woman become one flesh. And as I've said before, I think you begin to develop a truer, uh, fuller, more three-dimensional vision of the world as you become a kind of team that you simply don't become if you haven't committed yourself to each other uh, for the long term, for essentially eternity, for your uh, whole lives. On top of this, I wouldn't be surprised if married people are more conventional in some ways than people who live together. Living together, obviously, is not the conventional choice. Marriage is. And so it wouldn't surprise me if married people uh, take more um, gender-oriented roles. If If wives and husbands do not act more like wives and husbands than boyfriend and girlfriend living together do. And here's what I think that does. I think that when a woman makes a home for a family, she not only satisfies a very deep instinct in herself, but she sets off a very deep instinct in her husband uh, to support her and to support those children. I mean, I, I, I did not really become... Uh, a good earner until I had a child. And then the minute I brought that child home, the first thing that occurred to me is, oh my God, (laughs) what what happens if this child, if I don't make a good living? And the thing is, when the government says to you, well, what we need is more childcare, what we need is more, you know, gifts to parents so they can take care of that. No, no. The whole nature of marriage is that when a, a woman creates a home for a man and her children, she ignites this instinct to protect them and to serve them and to uh, support them in this man. On top of which, on top of which, by taking care of a lot of the things in his life, uh, 
sex would be one of them, uh, a place to live, a place to be, someone to be, which men are very chaotic people. They go after pleasure. They go after money. They go after things, you know, and suddenly with those things taken care of, I mean, I really do not know uh, how a man as uh, offbeat as I am would th- thrive at all without a home, which I would never have had on my own. I would never have made a home on my own. I just, I'm just too much, I live too much uh, in my head uh, to have done that. And my wife, by giving me a home, set me free to do the things that make the money that we have, right? I mean, suddenly I was free to do what I do. And so, you know, happily, uh, my wife loved uh, raising children. She loved homemaking. And, you know, I didn't want to, I didn't want to marry somebody who didn't want to do that. I didn't want to force it on somebody. I didn't want somebody to be unhappy. But also, you know, it meant that when she was ready to move on and to do other things, we had the income to let her do that. And then she started contributing to her income to a career that was, to my career, which was already well along. And we were able to sustain, um, you know, get through periods. Uh, you know, an artist's life is not a steady one. It never was. It never has been. It never will be. Uh, we were able to get through those periods because we had now created this machine for uh, doing the for that took care of a lot of our uh, spiritual needs. It took care of a lot of our spiritual needs. It took care of a lot of our creature comforts, and it. it brought out the best in us. And those are the things that you can't talk about in marriage. I've, I've written about this in my memoir, uh, The Great Good Thing, and I've talked about it before maybe. Uh, I didn't want to get married. We'd been living together for years when my wife and I decided to get married. I didn't see the point of it. It was just some silly ceremony. The moment the ceremony was over, absolutely true story, I walked into the bathroom and I just looked in the mirror and I gave myself the high sign, not a white supremacy sign, just the high sign. Okay, you did a great thing. And the reason was I knew the minute the ceremony was over, I had gone through a spiritual change. I had been living with this woman. I loved this woman desperately. I thought there was no reason to get married, but marriage changed everything. We became a different entity. I became a different entity. And all of, and everything that came of that and all the good that came of it, uh, came of it because we made the commitment. We leapt into the dark. Uh, You heard Stephen Meyer uh, with that great quote from Augustine, believe in order to know. Uh, I think that there are some things in life, love and God are good examples that you can only prove by living them. Uh, You live them over a period of time and you find out that they bring something out in you you did not even know was there, but but is everything, is everything about you. Marriage is a spiritual state uh, as well as a social instrument. And you don't get married to help society. You get married because it actually brings out the best in your spirit. And that, in a good capitalist society, is also going to make you uh, probably a lot wealthier and a lot more secure. And those are just things you can't talk about in the Wall Street Journal or almost anywhere. And these people who are not getting married are just plain crazy. They just are. I think uh, most of you are familiar with the uh, very famous um, Asian Indian prostitute, Uruj. Actually, no, she's not a prostitute. She's a lawyer. I don't know if that's, I don't know if it's a big difference. Uh, Uruj Rahman is a public interest lawyer in New York. And if it seems like I'm defaming her, well, it's very well deserved. Why? Because this is the woman, the activist who firebombed a police cruiser during the 2020 George Floyd riots. She's one of these so-called social justice warriors. And um, she was arrested and she was uh, facing 10 years in prison, which seems appropriate if you try to firebomb a police vehicle. 
But the Biden administration decided to start protecting her and pushing a judge. And this is U.S. District Judge Brian Cogan of the Eastern District of New York, liberal Democrat, to give this woman a very light sentence. And in fact, he did. So here's what she gets. 15 months in prison. Wow. This is outrageous. You've got January 6th defendants, nonviolent, who've done nothing, who have comparable or worse sentences than this, not to mention this woman was never in solitary confinement. In fact, left-wing activists came forward and put up money for her to be bailed. So she was given the opportunity to have bail. Why? Because she was not deemed to be a danger to society in the way that, let's say, just say some, you know, some uh, mom or grandmother or some guy in January said, there's a danger to society. We've got to lock him up right now and keep him locked up until trial. Why? Because he's, he's an election denier. Now, this woman, Uruj Rahman, and her accomplice, a guy named Collinford Mathis, these are people who they've been getting these glowing media profiles. Um, and now they evidently have this kind of sweetheart deal with the Biden DOJ and with a judge going along. So, I mean, justice is really about proportionality. The It's not just that you get punished, but the punishment should bear some resemblance, some proportion to the offense. And... Um, for someone who has engaged, uh, I mean, in, in a very premeditated way, uh, this uh, woman, Uruj Rahman and Mattis, her accomplice, were exchanging texts beforehand, talking about the importance of bombing all police fire stations. In fact, here she goes. I'm now quoting. I hope they burn everything down. Need to burn all police stations down and probably the courts too. So now, isn't this uh, domestic terrorism? Uh, it's premeditated. It's followed up with violent action. And all she gets is 15 months, two years of probation, and pay a restitution fee of $30,000. And that may seem, well, $30,000. But this is a woman who makes over $200,000 working at a law firm. In fact, specifically, according to the court documents, she makes two hundred and fifty. Um, uh, she, uh, she makes $255,000 a, a year. So she's a very well-paid, very well-educated. Her accomplice, by the way, is a graduate of... Um, Princeton and New York Law School, she went to Fordham. So these are people who know better, uh, not to mention the fact that they have had legal training. So they, they can't say, well, I, I really didn't know this was against the law. That makes absolutely no sense. They're trained in the law. Um, and, uh, and so let's look at how she gets this reduced sentence. The Biden DOJ writes a document where they basically say she's, quote, uh, coping with unprocessed trauma. So she's undergoing some personal difficulties. She had apparently abusive partnership relationships. She's having trouble with um, with her relationships. She was, quote, taunted as a Muslim after 9-11. What kind of nonsense is all this? Uh, they also claim that, quote, her commitment to social justice should earn her a more lenient sentence. And sure enough, the judge goes on to praise her and says that she is, quote, a remarkable person who did a terrible thing one night. You can see the judge right away minimizing. It's sort of like, well, you know, she's led a very exemplary life. Well, there's no evidence of that. Where's her, what, what's exemplary about her life? Just because she's a left-wing radical and she's been in an abusive relationship, which probably she was giving as much as she got. Uh, she's traumatized. Well, people who have, who are strange and weird and get into weird relationships have trauma, very often trauma that they impose on others too or on themselves. So there's nothing admirable here. This is basically a woman who's decided to use violence to achieve political ends that she can't achieve 
any other way. And she thinks it's okay. And they planned it. And so the fact, you know, we, we say multiple times that there is a, a two-tier system of justice in this country, but it's not just at the highest level. It's not just that the Clintons get away with it or Hunter Biden gets away with it or the Biden family gets away with it. We see that left-wing activists on the street also get away with it. Wake up, America, before it's too late. The Steve Day Show. And greetings. Happy Wednesday. We are live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. Welcome to the Steve Day Show. That would be me. He is Todd Erzin. He is Aaron McIntyre. Of course, many of you probably are assuming this already. This is our final show of the week. We are off the rest of the week for the long Thanksgiving weekend. I hope. Assume many of you are blessed to be able to do that as well. And if we don't remember to say it at the end of the show, thank you. Um, I mean, we had a very, very prosperous year uh, this year. Uh, and we're rewarded with continued employment here. Uh, and, and all of you are the reasons why. So we are thankful for each and every one of you. So thank you. Hope that uh, all of you also have a blessed Thanksgiving as well. Let us begin, as we always do, with Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by another exploded narrative. As we told you yesterday, every lefty and their mother's dog are, or were now, trying to blame those who believe boys are boys and girls are girls for the shooting at a gay nightclub in Colorado last weekend. The logic, if you can call it that, was that the shooter was probably radicalized by those who use the groomer moniker to describe groomers. Anywho, we now know the shooter in court documents describes himself as non-binary and uses they, them pronouns. CNN, your thoughts? I don't know what to say about that. I mean, that's not anything that we had heard from his background. You know, people have been looking into his background and uh, I don't know if anybody here, are you guys lawyers? I no. mean, you know, I don't know if the, I, I don't know what to say about that. I mean, th- that's what he's now saying. Wow. Way to misgender there, CNN. Meanwhile, a win for sanity in court. U.S. District Judge Matthew Kasmerick has ruled that Joe Biden's gender extremist edict, which would force doctors to treat clients based on so-called gender identity, is unlawful. The ruling stems from a lawsuit brought about by America First Legal. The National Hockey League tweets. Again, this is the National Hockey League tweets. Trans women are women. Trans men are men. Non-binary identity is real. Who could have seen this coming updates? New Hampshire's first mentally ill man who thinks he's a woman has been arrested for stalking and violating a restraining order. I am the science update. Here's Dr. Anthony Fauci for probably the final time at the White House. Everybody was asking the question, where's the clinical efficacy data? Now it has come out with the CDC MMWR this morning. So we know it's safe. We know that it is effective. So my message and my final message, maybe the final message I give you from this podium, (laughs) is that please, for your own safety, for that of your family, get your updated COVID-19 shot as soon as you're eligible to protect yourself, your family, and your community. From I Am The Science to I Am The Children update, AFT Grand Poobah Randy Weingarten says, if you attack her, you're really attacking children. She's talking about Mike Pompeo here. He called what educators do in schools all across America filthy. The people who every single day get up, they never get paid enough for what they do, 
they have been dealing with all the anxieties and the aftershocks and after effects of COVID for children, including the mental health crises. They've been teaching kids to read for years. We teach AP, we teach CTE, I could go through all the mnemonics, but what he's doing is making it harder for teachers all across America to teach kids, to bring parents and teachers together. That's what is pathetic about what he's doing. He knows better. He's a West Point boy. He knows better. But he's doing this to try to win a Republican primary, and he's hurting kids. The Supreme Court has rejected Donald Trump's last-ditch efforts to block House Democrats from reviewing his tax records. No reason or rationale was given by the court as to why the court is allowing Democrats to set the precedent they can violate any citizen's privacy if they want. And finally, an ex-Twitter employee has her first job interview. This is the Babylon Bee. Mr. Dunsinson? Yeah, come on in. You know, uh, you're 20 minutes late. Yeah, Twitter, we didn't have, like, start times. Schedules are a remnant of an oppressive colonialist regime. Oppressive colonialist regimes? Okay. Well, look, the work here is pretty demanding. We need to find someone who can inspect all of our outgoing... Miss, are, are you okay? I'm sorry. I'm not really used to bosses using trigger words like demanding and inspect and work. But this is a job. We don't say that either. Then how do you get any work? Huh. Uh, well, I mean, so how do you get any uh, labor stuff, production, the handwork, and that work, sorry, stuff done? How do you get any stuff done? Uh, Streep's got tons of stuff done on Twitter. Oh, okay. Well, what would you say you did there? I was responsible for so much as a content moderation specialist. Some days during my afternoon cornhole sesh, I'd get a text telling me I had to ban someone. So then you'd have to actually like walk over to your computer and ban them? Uh, no. I would just hit a button on my phone and then BAM! Babylon B, banned. Libs of TikTok, banned. Steve from Fruitport, Michigan, you know he banned. And then back to cornhole. You can find that entire video at the Babylon Bee's YouTube page. And that's what happened while we were away. That doesn't feel like parody. Because it's not. It, that, I just think that's reporting, actually. The Babylon Bee is in the news business now, not just in the satire, apparently. I want to go to what Anthony Fauci said in his final words. Anyway, he claims, likely from the White House, as he heads off into retirement. On all of my social media accounts this morning, even Fakebook, I even posted it there, because F them. On all of my social media accounts this morning, I have for you a graphic with a collection of charts. These charts are a measurement of standardized mortality in several European countries compared to the last three years. The increase 
or maybe there's not. And standardized mortality amongst 15 to 44-year-olds. Is that a high mortality group? It is not. It is not, obviously. Three-season mortality ratio in Austria. The three years prior to 2021 and 2022 went from 15.1% or went up, I should say, 15.1%. 15.1% increase. In Belgium, they had a 5.1% increase. In Bulgaria, a 12.6% increase. In Switzerland, a 5.3% increase. In Croatia, a 7.7% increase. In Finland, a a 2.5% increase. In Spain, a 12.5% increase. In Denmark, a 2.5% increase. In Hungary, a 17% increase. In Italy, 7.1% increase. Lithuania, 14.5% increase. Latvia, 7% increase. Portugal, 12.7% increase. Poland, 11% increase. Norway, 5.6% increase. The Netherlands, 4.9% increase. Slovenia, 8.2% increase. Slovakia, 8.1% increase. Huh. And lo and behold, Sweden. Minus minus 2.6%. Hmm. Hmm. Kind of weird. Could there be anything about Sweden that might make them an outlier in this group? Everybody else increased. They did not. Nothing comes to mind, right? Except all the things we've said since 2020. What is the benign and innocent explanation? For the increased in standardized mortality in all of these developed modern European nations in 2021 and 2022, among 15 to 44 year olds. What is the benign, innocent explanation? Let me give you a spoiler alert there isn't one. There, there, there is not one. They're going to say long COVID. Let's play with that one for a minute before we get to what we all know. What we all know is the answer. But let's play with that one. Let's play with it. Let's play with long COVID for a minute. Because if we were to acknowledge falsely that that is the answer. <laughs> Then it actually explains Sweden's improvement in this area quite a bit. Because what did, what, what did Sweden not do? Every one of the rest of these nations did. Locked down. What did Sweden pursue that none of the rest of these nations did? A yeah. traditional herd immunity strategy. So you see where I'm going with this. Even if, if, if in order to not admit that the sacred cow is a killer whale and they knew about it all along, 
which as we pointed out to you yesterday, they did know. Our CDC knew all along, has known all along. And I'm sure we'll get into this more with Daniel when he joins us later in the program because it's his work pointing this out. Okay. Your deflection is long COVID. Well then, we have to go back and re-prosecute the immorality and the ineffectiveness of lockdowns then, don't we? Yeah. Because if you want, if your alternative explanation is long COVID, and that's what led to an increase in standardized mortality in vibrant, healthy age groups, 15 to 44 years old, then we can perfectly explain why Sweden's number improved and all the rest of these countries did not. We can perfectly explain it. They pursued a herd immunity strategy from the very beginning. They practiced traditional science from the very beginning. They isolated the vulnerable, the healthy they lit out. People got exposed, developed natural immunity, long-term, robust T-cell immunity. That would, there's, my point is, there's nowhere to hide here. Crimes against humanity have been created and concocted by one of two entities looking at this data. You will either blame it on Operation Warp Speed or the governments that took their people out of the game and weakened their immune systems with lockdowns. One or the other. It has to be one or the other. So you decide... Spirit of the age. Which of these two idols is more valuable to you? Because someone has to hang. Someone's head needs to swing from a tree. Lots of heads need to swing from lots of trees. After a fair trial, of course. Of course. I mean, of course, right? We wouldn't presume to practice any form of posse or vigilante justice. We're Christians. So um, after a fair trial, of course. But you're guilty of something. Either these are lagging indicators from weakened immune systems because you locked your people down so that the people in the age groups that had the healthy enough immune systems to withstand this, then when it lingered and lingered and lingered into whatever nebulous thing you're calling long COVID these days, which is essentially anything that, that just doesn't jive with our narrative. We're just calling it long COVID. That's what they're doing, basically. Okay. Well, then if you look at Sweden here as the control group, then you're a liar here and a murderer one way or another. You did it by either weakening the immune systems during the height of the pandemic. So you have this level of death in healthy age groups as a lagging indicator of that. Or... Or the surges and standardized death in 21 and 22 line up perfectly. Line up perfectly with a mass vaccination campaign of an experimental poisonous substance. And by the way, that data lines up here too. Some of the countries that actually didn't perform as bad as others, like Denmark, 
What did Denmark do about six months ago, guys? Stop, Stop vaccinating boosting. minors. See what I'm saying? That would line up. That would line up with this too. You're trapped. No way out. You're guilty of something. No way out. One way or another, you murdered all these people. You did it by commission. You poisoned them. Or omission. You took them off the board and weakened their immune systems. But you did it. One way or another. And this data proves it and shows it. You can turn left, you can turn right. You are trapped either way. The data provides you no trapdoor. Yet there Fauci is. And at the hint of any form of a critical question, they couldn't, him, they couldn't offer, usher him off that stage fast enough. That's maybe the most cogent and salient Catherine Jean-Pierre, whatever her name is, White House Fortunato, that's maybe the most salient and quick acting and witted she has appeared in that job since she took it, was deflecting on his behalf. I mean, if he can't stand up to cross-examination in that setting, what's cross-examination with Congressman Chip Roy look like? Congressman Thomas Massey, what's that look like? I have an idea. Let's find out. Indeed. Let's find out. Let's find out what that looks like. Gentlemen, your thoughts. One more thing. Again, these ch this chart, a graphic with all these charts, is on all my social media channels right now. At Steve Dace Show on Twitter. Facebook, look, look for Steve Dace on Facebook, MeWe, Parlor, and Gab. At Steve Dace Show on Getter, Twitter. At Real Steve Dace on Truth Social. I, I have this graphic posted on all of my social media accounts this morning. Go ahead, Todd. Well, this is connected to something else in the montage to me. The, the fact that he can stand up there with the, that clear sense that he is immune. He's just like, nothing's going to happen to me. I'm untouchable. I mentioned this yesterday. He, he's surrounded by medical professionals at every level. The think tanks, the actual nurses and doctors that, that make the uh, dancing videos, they... They think this way because they are operating as much from an emotional premise of importance as a truth premise. And we have a real problem with that in our culture in general. That's why we get to this point. And this is what it relates to what Randy Weingarten said. I, I, teachers, all of them need to hear this, even the good ones. You're not special at all. Nurses, you need to hear this. Doctors, you need to hear this. You're not special. As a profession, we've carved out these classes that feel anointed. You're not any better than the garbage man. You're not any better than the post office worker. You, you, you gotta stop this. You're killing all of us. Because it's the same cancer. It's the same progressivism is cancer in both cases. The actual facts 
are immaterial. It's the same thing with the nightclub thing and the he him, and it turns out to be the media rushed to judgment and said it was the, everybody's fault for ever saying uh, that we shouldn't train, uh, you know, have drag queen story hour. You killed them. They they don't care about what really happened. We've got to, so journalists, you're not special either. We are all created in the image and likeness of God. And we are all sinners. The Imago Dei and the brokenness. And until we get back to this and all these false gods and this idolatry within all of these professions, because the, America and the world at large, the idols have never been bigger and they have never been shinier. And that's how we get to the point where Steve has to says what he just said for the 666th time. And we are still, it seems like we are back in March 2020 with that fraud at the podium again. Everybody decide, this is demonic, this is spiritual. Until we address that, we address nothing. I don't know, I, I don't know at this point what, what it's going to take. Todd, everything you said about doctors and nurses... That is absolutely true. But, uh, I mean, that the left right now has a stranglehold on every single institution. Mm-hmm. Look at Randy Weingarten. You attack me. You say that teachers teaching filth in the classroom. You, you, you criticize that. You're hurting children. Mm-hmm. They, they, totally, they totally believe that. I am the science. I am the yes. schools. I am the truth. I am... Who, 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 whose language is that, Aaron, by the way, who makes such um, declarations of, I am the most high, I will ascend. Who does that mirror and echo? Uh, sounds like Lucifer yes, uh, to me. It does. Sounds like Lucifer. And as you were talking, Todd, I went back and my mind flashed back. You remember the University of Minnesota, uh, Minneapolis, um, I guess it was a white coat ceremony? Yeah. For the doctors. Of course. For the new doctors. That's what I'm talking about. You're not And they are all, they are all, all of them to a T, standing and reciting this, this demonic, it's just a demonic spirit of the age chant. Uh, Just gobbledygook about uh, uh, equality and uh, uh, native lands and just complete and utter nonsense that doesn't have anything to do with uh, the, 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 what is it, the um, mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. Nothing to do with that at all. Nothing to do with their actual, what they're supposed to be supposedly there for. That just tells you again, at every single level, every single corner, every single Every single depth, height, we're up against a damn cult. Yep. And it has a stranglehold, for better or worse, definitely not better, but uh, whether it's uh, willingly, I guess I should say, willingly or unwillingly, it has a stranglehold on the mind and the soul of this country and the really Western civilization. And so therefore, therefore, we are up against this cult. It is likened to Hydra. What is the solution? As much as we enjoy them, the Marvel movies, I was just looking at my nice posters in the man cave last night. As much as we enjoy them, Captain America ain't coming. Iron Man ain't coming. The Hulk ain't coming. Those are superheroes. That's not real. We are the people. We are the people that it's going to take to put an end to this. 
And what the end looks like is that all of those people that I just described, from the teachers to the doctors to all of the levels of cults, for espousing the views that they do, whether it's on the jab, or whether it's about uh, genital mutilation of children. When this ends, what that looks like is that each and every individual from CD, uh, CD places in the inner city to uh, the, the, the plains of the Midwest feel so utterly embarrassed and broken about espousing those views publicly that they no longer do. I hope that's I hope that's the conclusion that we can find, because the other conclusion that this will we will have a conclusion one way or another. Yes. The other conclusion is really, really dark and really bloody. They just overrun us. Yeah, that's the other conclusion. Yeah. Uh, Just to further Aaron's point, literally here in the last 10 minutes, I saw there's a column out this morning in the Washington Post. It's a Washington Post analysis for the first time. That's a lie, by the way. That is a lie. Okay. The first words are a lie. Yeah, the Perfect. first words are a lie. For the first time, COVID jabbed make up a majority of COVID deaths in America. That's not true. That's been true. Uh, it was true. This is. It, 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 it's not the first time this has been true. This has been true for quite some time. That's not true. But we'll just go with it again, just like I did with the charts. I'll go with your own narrative because the play is the thing in which I will catch the conscience of the king. You're trapped either way. It admits, Washington, the Washington Post admits this morning, one day after the White House just went up there and just sociopathic levels of gaslighting, nothing they said was true. Like nothing. Like all of it is in total violation of all the data we have. None of it's true. Like none of it was true. None of it was. None of it. So the next day, the Washington Post says, okay, we got to speak up now. Because you're literally killing us with this BS. All right. We, we, we got rid of Trump. We held on to the Senate. Okay, can we stop? Have we killed enough of our own people for, to win elections? That's essentially what the Washington Post is saying this morning. Have we not killed enough of our own people and voters to steal the last couple of elections? Can we tell the truth now? That's, that's the only way to explain this timing because they could have written what they wrote this morning six months ago. So they got, they got the political outcome they wanted. So can we now be honest and stop killing our people in their brownstones suddenly? So the Washington Post comes out this morning and says, for the first time, not true, but that's what they're claiming, that this is the first time a majority of COVID deaths in America are the jabbed. But if you want to know why we use terms like cult and demonic spirit of the age, its conclusion is, <laughs> its conclusion is, this just confirms the the importance of taking regular boosters. It does not... Of course it does. That's what it says. <laughs> and so I first saw this story when, a, you know, I saw Laura Ingram and Clay Travis and a bunch of people here in the last hour sharing this. Finally, they're telling the truth. So I went, and of course, you know, I'm the guy. I actually will click on the link. You know, I started reading the story. The story does say that. But then it actually ends up pimping, pimping out even more boosters. That's why you got to take boosters more. That's why you take more of them. More, you have to take more of them. So No. No, it's not what I said a minute ago. It's not, okay, (laughs) that would just be cynical. But it would also be typical human sinfulness, right? It's not unique in human society to put people up as chattel to get outcomes you want socioeconomically or politically, right? We've been, that's human history is littered with that story. Right. This is different. This isn't sinfulness. This is demonic. This is, this thing's killing you, and that's why you need to take even more of it. 
just teabagging you. Just dropping dropping trow in your face, peeing on you and telling you it's raining. Hell is belly laughing at this, Aaron. That's not how the... So the comeback to that is, well, most of the population is vaccinated. That's why more people... That's not how vaccines are supposed that's to work, That's not how guys. they're supposed to work. Dumbass. Yeah. yeah. Then why are you taking it, then? Why, why are you taking it, then? It's a virtue signal that you're in the cult. You're one of the good people. You're willing to die for the beast.